0: There's a new television show on. I don't know if you've seen this. I just saw it the other night for the very first time. Police Women of Memphis. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I, I went out with a couple of those girls back in the day. and um, Oh, my goodness. That brings back some sweet, sweet memories. I tear up um, thinking about it. You know, one of the things, no matter where you're from, no matter where I've lived, that I have seen is is the fact that um, as as believers we have been blessed so much by god you know and some of that we take for granted and just some of that we're well aware of but the joy that that christ has put in in my life the forgiveness that he has given the experiences that he walks with us you know through the guidance from his word you know all of this that we have and, I, and i'll tell you my heart i'm not trying to sound you know like i'm spiritual, you know, more than is, you know, accurate or anything like that. But I have a heart to see that the things that we know, the things that we enjoy and are, and are blessed by from the Lord, that other people can experience that, that other people can see that. And being in ministry, and I know a lot of you are in ministry too, even though you may not be on this platform that you've got a heart for ministry uh, here is one of the passions that I have: is to see that that good news that we've been given spread outside of this place. And if you're from another church, outside from of your church, because so often, I'll just be honest with you, fellow believers, we. Sort of keep it shut up here, you know. We keep it confined here, and some of you will go all week and never mention the name of Jesus, and you'll never talk about, you know, what God's doing in your life, and and as far as your coworkers are concerned or your classmates are concerned, they don't know there's anything different about you. Every now and then, they may see something or that kind of gives them a hint. So I have this this idea and this passion in my heart, been there for a long time to see. Uh, the good things that have happened in our lives be extended into the lives of people around us. And I thought, okay, one way, obviously, is to try to get people in this room on Sunday mornings. Uh, Kevin, worship team, these guys, even the sound guys, give them a hard time. You only notice them when something doesn't go right. <laughs> uh, and that's just their their hearts. They're such barnabuses. And, you know. Um, Getting people in this room is one thing, but you've got folks and I've got folks who it's just kind of hard to, to, to make that happen. Maybe some of you are here today because somebody finally talked you into it or they promised you a good lunch or you know, there's something there were, there was something in it. That was pretty much some of my first experiences. Um, is you know, it wasn't for the right reasons, it was for other reasons. What about all those folks that aren't going to be here on a Sunday morning? Well, I had this idea several years ago. I've got to get this word out somehow. So here's what I did. I uh, began to look for ways to uh, m- maybe be where people are. And, and there are two things that came to my mind, and these are the two avenues that, that, that I chose. One was in high schools. I feel like high schools are probably the greatest mission field in America. When you think about it, everybody has to go, right? Right. It's the only time that our culture, our society, where everybody's funneled into one place at one time, everybody's got to go through it. And from there, some people go to careers, some people go to different schools, some people disappear entirely. But in high school, you've got this crossing. So I spoke about the the year before I became pastor here about 50 times uh, in high school's most of them, many of them right here in in our city and county and the surrounding counties, some in the, just the southeast area. Uh, I got to see a guidance counselor one day, pray to receive Christ in her office. I couldn't be blatantly Christian on the platform, but... Uh, before and after, I could talk about my faith. Uh, I saw a student pray to receive Christ once with permission of the people around me. We had to, it was a big deal. It was, uh, um, you, didn't, you wouldn't think we were living in America, but uh, I saw a teacher one day follow me out to the parking lot. And as I'm putting my presentation materials into the trunk of my car, uh, we talk about spiritual things. She prayed to receive Christ right there. So I thought, Lord, this works a little bit, uh, but I think it could work better. One of the other avenues that I had, uh, that I enjoyed, it was getting to had this idea that if I could go to places where people work uh, and, and in an in a environment where they're comfortable. And so I began speaking, and believe it or not, it was like a stress management seminar, which is crazy. The staff and my family would go, you spoke on stress. Hmm. <laughs> That's Did you ever listen to any of the things or apply some of the stuff that, that you talked about? Because, you know, you're, you're always kind of freaking out about something. Well, I spoke... For some some reason, it kind of worked out where the most uh, common uh, place for me uh, is kind of a niche was in uh, wireless companies. I spoke for Verizon and for U.S. Cellular and for uh, Cellular One, which I think has gone away since then. Is right after I spoke that they kind of you know uh, some of the, some of the other places like that, and really enjoyed that opportunity. And actually got to see I, again. Couldn't be a Christian presentation. But what I would say is, uh, some, I'd give some information, and I would say, now, during the break, I'm going to be at the refreshment table, or I'm going to be at this place in this room. And if you'd like to talk to me some more about that, uh, please do. I saw a lady from Birmingham break down in front of all of her coworkers and just weep. Um, and she said, now I've got to go back home. and <laughs> I don't know. I don't, she said, if I could just stay here, I think I could, I could do this. But... Uh, A very powerful uh, spiritual experience in her life as we pray. And here's the way I would set that up, because again, it couldn't be a Christian. I wasn't introduced as this is going to be a Christian deal and we're forcing you all to come. But what I could do is kind of slip some things in. And I would always tell the people ahead of time, hey, I'm going to talk about this. Is that a problem? And they go, oh, no, that's not a problem. So here's what I would say, because I feel like all of us uh, to some degree, the reason we get stressed, whether it's a school, whether it's in your job or with your family or just with your neighborhood and some of the things your neighbors do, whatever it is, you know, that kind of bugs you a little bit, you want to be back in control of that area of your life, right? I mean, that's part of the problem is that you feel like, well, I'm out of control of this situation. These people are, you know, behaving in a certain way and I can't do anything about that. So I said, you're kind of like in the driver's seat. Those of you who know me well know that I use a lot of car metaphors because I just I, I think I love cars. So uh, you're in the driver's seat, and you're driving, and you want to be in control of that. Now, in front of you, on your dashboard, there are three gauges. There's a physical gauge, there is an emotional gauge, and there's a spiritual gauge. And these are some of the, you know, the ways that we're self-aware. These are some of the things that tell us about, you know, I'm not feeling so good today. I'm tired today. I just, you know, physically you kind of, you know, hey, I'm kind of, I'm dry. I've got this thing, this allergy going on, you know, and we need to to be healthy to to feel good about ourselves, feel good about the things that are going on, and that affects us. When things aren't right physically, it kind of knocks off the other two. Now, everybody gets that because everybody's been sick, everybody's been injured, or know someone who has... So people kind of go, okay, I'm, I'm, I got that. I'm with you there. And I would talk about an emotional gauge. I said, there's an emotional gauge. There's sometimes that you're angry, you're upset, or you're anxious, you're fearful, you're you're worried about something, or you're just sad. And you you, you something's either triggered that. It's an event or an experience that that's happened, and, and everybody kind of understands that. Everybody has had the blues, right? Everybody's. Uh, been sad, so everybody go. Oh, yeah, I kind of understand that. And then I talk about this third spiritual gauge, and I say, you know, there's uh, there's a gauge in in your life that sometimes we ignore, especially in our culture, and that's a spiritual gauge. And if things aren't right in your life spiritually, it's going to affect the other two, and you're never going to be the woman that you want to be that you feel is locked up inside. You're never going to be the man that God's designed for you to be, wired you to be, built you to be. You're never going to be that guy if you ignore your spiritual life. Now, some of you found your way into church this morning, and you think, yeah, but I, I pretty much ignore that spiritual life. Sometimes I'll attend church or, you know, every now and then I'm in a jam, and I, so I'll say a prayer or, you know, something like that. That's not enough. Just like in the other two areas, if you thought, well, yeah, every now and then I eat a little bit, you know, every week or two, three, every month. I try to grab something to eat from a street vendor, and and, and that's kind of, you know, or I'll take a walk out to the mailbox and back. That's part of my daily routine that I'm very disciplined about. I go out every morning, get the paper, and bring it back in. Sundays, like today, very heavy paper. So, you know, I just discipline myself to do those things so that I can stay in top physical condition. And the same thing mentally, you know, emotionally. Sometimes you got to take a break. Sometimes, you know, there are things you can do to make yourself healthy. I'm amazed at how many people are unhealthy spiritually but don't do anything about it. So, today, I want to share with you one of the things that I think is going to make a huge difference in your life spiritually. And it's going to to bring all these parts of who you are into harmony so that you can live a healthy and a whole life. That you can be um, not just a physical person, not just a, um, you know, emotional person, but but that you can be spiritually everything that God uh, has made you to be. Now I'm, I'm feeling a little tethered here to this, so I'm just kind of gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stay close to this, um, and try to manage all my accessories and, and stuff in the process as well. Uh, I when you think about these gauges, you know what they do is they kind of tell you where you are. You know, if you're real tired and uh, you think oh, I just I don't want to go today, I need a personal day because you've got this thing. You know that nobody else around you, no nobody else can look at you and say, mm, I think you're tired. I think you're sick. No, you, you kind of have to be the one to tell. Even when you go to the doctor, they they will ask, Well, tell me your symptoms. Tell me how you feel. You're the first one aware of that. Same thing. Uh, you know, emotionally, people may look at you and go, oh, I think you seem kind of down. Are you, are you okay? Well, yeah, I'm feeling a little depressed today. I'm feeling kind of—you know, you, you are aware of that. And the same thing is true um, spiritually. And there are people around us who help with that. They either, you know, build that up. Right? There are people who are like fuel for you and you when you're around them, they add value to your life and they, they you know those kind of people who just seem to encourage you and you think, wow, every time I walk away from them, I feel a little bit better about my situation, I feel a little better about myself, I I, I get pumped up, I think, well I can go on. And there's some folks just make you smile. And and they're kinda of like they fill that tank up. You know, you can almost watch that gauge on the dashboard of your life, and you think, wow, when I step away from them, I just see that needle move over to full, and I, and I walk away going, wow, I'm so glad I spent time with them. But then, is this not true? There are folks who do just the opposite. There are folks who drain us. Why don't you just shout out some of the people in your life who do that, okay? Okay, my mother, good. Okay, Is that, yeah. My sister, good. Okay, anyone else? No, I'm kidding. But you know that, and that I didn't, I don't have to coax that out of you, right? Because you know pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. I used to have a roommate, and fortunately, I only had him for about half a year, but he was this, he was Debbie Downer before there was one. Oh, my goodness. We would see him walk in and we think, oh, here he comes. Hey, man, you want some cereal? Uh, it's probably just gonna get soggy if I try to eat it. You know, I mean, everything about this guy. Oh, he would—he uh, would come in, and uh, oh, it was just wearisome. You know, he would just—it's just like a human vacuum cleaner. Just you know, he just kind of hook right up to your life, or just like a siphon hose. Just go down to your tank and go, "Hey, I'm in from work." And you say, oh, I know, I know. And you're reaching for a table knife or something. You think, ah, oh, you know. We've got those people in our lives. They just drain us. They just drain us. Now, if you're going to be healthy, you need to balance of those people because God's called us to love each other. And God's called us to love people, whether they drain you or whether they replenish you. But you got to figure out a way in the midst of that, you know, to kind of keep that tank filled. So, I think the primary way to do that is to connect to people who will encourage you and for us to become encouragers. Encouragement, correctly understood, is really the language of the New Testament. It's so much about what the Bible is, uh, and it just encourage, and then there's days, you know, I just read Scripture, and now I'm Ready? You know, the coffee wasn't enough. Uh, it, it, God just speaks to me, and He is the ultimate encourager. And there are people in Scripture uh, that tend to really show us how to do that. And that's, that's one of these people that I want to talk about today. The word encouragement is used more than a hundred times in just the New Testament it's a big idea. And the character that I'm thinking about, who's probably, I guess, the patron saint of encouragement, is a man that we know as Barnabas. And Barnabas's story is found mostly in the book of Acts. And we're going to look at him and just dream together about how we can become Barnabases and who are some of those Barnabases in our life that we need to connect to and to really appreciate. Now, the first time we meet Barnabas is in Acts chapter 4. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, we're going to throw it up on the screen for you. And I'm using uh, a little, uh, kind of a loose translation today because I really want you to get this, this idea. But in verse 36 uh, of chapter 4, the, the Bible is talking about how the believers were coming together and this unique thing God was doing in their lives uh, as a community and as a group. And in verse 36, uh, in chapter 4, it says, For instance, there was Joseph. The one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned, and he brought the money to the apostles. Now, the significant thing about Joseph is he was a Levite. Now, the Levites were the ones who attended a lot of the duties at the temple. But because Joseph was a Hellenist... In other words, he was from a Greek background. He wasn't born in Israel. He was always kind of seen in front in the believers in that little community as sort of an outsider. You ever been to a church where you just kind of felt like an outsider or a community? You ever moved into a company or a school and you felt like I'm just not fitting in here? I used to go to a church where everybody was related. You know, they were all related, and then they all married each other. And you would have to live there about 10 years before they felt like, well, you're starting to be kind of part of us, you know. But it was that kind of thing. And I think Joseph felt that. He was a little disconnected because of that. And he couldn't be a doorkeeper. He couldn't be, uh, um, you know, oftentimes Levites were the musicians uh, in the worship services or something else like that. He was from Cyprus. He's not He's not a hometown boy. He's got an accent. You know, he doesn't speak. In fact, he didn't know Aramaic. He couldn't even speak the language that everybody else spoke. So that was a struggle for him. Um And there was this idea among some of the Jewish believers in in this place that, well, if you lived in Cyprus, you probably picked up some of those Greekish ways. You know, they just kind of looked at you different. They just kind of looked at you and said, well, you know, Barnabas, yeah, he's a nice guy, but, uh, you know, he does hang out with other Hellenists and... And although they're nice yeah, and there was this tension there and he wasn't allowed to serve in the temple like people normally would be who were from the tribe of Levi. Now, if you were Joseph, you would expect. Wouldn't you think he would just be a little maybe sour about that? Just like, OK, I've come to be a part of your your, your church. I want to be and you kind of hold me at arm's length. You kind of treat me different. That's the way he felt. And You think, well, he should. But the surprising thing is, is that wasn't Joseph at all. That wasn't his heart. In fact, this guy, he just had such a sweetness about him that uh, he actually joined in with this community and to begin to contribute right away to some of the things that were going on. Instead of you know, struggling with that. Uh, He said, you know what? I see some people in need. I've joined this church. I see some people who kind of have some issues, and I'm going to sell some of my stuff on Craigslist. I'm going to put a lot of my stuff on eBay, and I'm just going to sell that and give the money. That's the kind of guy Joseph was, and that was so encouraging. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, Joseph is the first recorded donor, the first recorded giver in this new community. And the text says there, literally it says, he came and put the money at the apostles' feet. Maybe your translation reads it that way. And I think by doing that, what he's saying is, hey, guys, you know what? I know there's some needs here. I'm kind of new in town, or I've been here. But I know that you apostles seem to be in the loop with a lot of people's lives. I'm just going to put this money at your feet. I know that you'll know what to do best with this. So I'm just going to leave it here with you. No strings attached. You don't have to put my name on a pew. You know, on a plaque, you, you don't have to name a building after me or anything. I just want to make sure these folks get taken care of. And I think that's such a beautiful thing uh, in his life. And that's such an encouragement to folks. Haven't there been times in your life, there have been in mine, when someone came up and said, here, so-and-so, you know, who wants to remain anonymous, believes you need this. I went to pay my tuition once in seminary, and, you know, Kathy and I had saved up just the right amount of money and had budgeted everything, and I got there to the, to the registrar, um, and they said, oh, it, it's been paid for you. And I said, well, no, I'm just now getting here. I know I haven't paid it yet, and I don't have a receipt or anything. I could, you know, I, I haven't paid it. And they said, oh, no, it's paid. And, I, and this thing went back and forth. So they looked, and they said, well, we can't tell you, but someone has already paid your tuition for this, this term. And I said, who is it that they wish, they don't want you to know who they are, but it's taken care of. So you can use that money for your books or for other expenses that you have. That was just such a beautiful thing. And I was encouraged, not just financially. I was encouraged in my, I thought, God, maybe you just send these little affirmations to let me know. I'm on the right track. I'm on the right track. Other people believe in me. Other people believe in me so much that they're willing to invest financially into my future. See what an encouragement that is? And that's exactly um, what Barnabas did. He encouraged people uh, by giving, by giving. Folks, let me just stop and just just tell you, I, I don't know where you are with that area of your life as far as what you give, but there is a connection to spiritual power when you begin to give that is different than almost anything else I can think of. And Barnabas knew that. Uh, It's an infectious thing. it's, It's almost like you get plugged into this reality that's bigger than yourself. You get into this flow of something that God's doing, and you really feel a part of the bigger picture and the bigger plan. Because if there's anything we're reluctant to let go of, you know, it's just two things. One, our time. I don't know. I don't want to go over there. I don't want to do that. When you let go of your time and you begin to be generous with your time, and when you begin to open up your pocketbook and be generous with your money, all of a sudden you feel, I'm a part of this. I'm not a bystander. You know, I'm not just an observer and hope things go well. No, I'm in. I'm in. And something begins to happen in you and something begins to happen in people around you. I've seen this countless times, not just in my life, but in other people's lives too. Barnabas, uh, encouraged people so much that the disciples, the apostles, came around him and said, Hey, Joe, his name was Joseph. They said, We just like you so much, we're going to give you a nickname. And they began to call him Son of Encouragement, which is Barnabas. And from here on in Scripture, everybody calls him Barnabas. He's always referred to as just an encourager. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Now, he he shows just what an encouragement he is because he fills these folks' tanks literally Okay? They pull up to the pump, and he, he says, it's on my card. I'm just I'm going to fill you, and, you know, physically. I'm going to contribute. I want to make sure you're taken care of. And he also, I think, encourages these folks by just giving grace. This unusual thing happened. Now, Barnabas kind of disappears, and this is another thing about him. He's kind of there in Scripture, and then you read along, and you think, wait a minute. What happened to Barnabas? He was, he was there in the story, and then he just kind of slips out. And then then he pops back up and he slips back in. Well, he shows back up again in Acts chapter 9. If you have a Bible, turn there. In verse 26, the Bible says, When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on his way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. This was Barnabas who kind of brought this out. You see, Saul was a guy, if you're not familiar with the New Testament, he was a terrorist. He hated Christians. He would actually go into their houses, into their living rooms. He had dragged them out. Uh, especially when after somebody had been baptized, because that was this public symbol of, I'm serious about my walk with Jesus, so they would be baptized. Uh, and that was kind of a turning point. He even would go so far as to make sure people got killed. I mean, he he would murder people. And the whole time, think, oh, I'm doing the right thing. I'm trying to shut down this, this movement. Uh, he just breathed out murderous threats all the time. Everybody was scared to death of him. He was the guy nobody wanted to mess with. You know, when he came to town, you knew something bad was going to happen. So everybody's afraid of him. And all of a sudden, he shows up at church. <laughs> they're like, oh. And they're like, we need to trust, you know, we need to let him in. He'd like to join our church. And we're like, I don't think so. I don't think so. And, and they're about to just say, you know what, never mind. Just, and who speaks up? Barnabas, excuse me, guy, I just want to say before the meeting's over, I just want to say something about this guy. I checked him out for myself. You know what? I've seen him cry. I've seen him pray. I've heard him preach. I've walked with him. I have spent time with him in conversation, and you know what? He's the real deal. Give him a chance. Give him a chance. Saul is not Saul anymore. In fact, you know that Saul is a Jewish name, And Paul is a Greek name, and God had sent Paul to minister to Greeks, so he said, you know what, we need you to to have a name that sounds a little more Greekish. We need you to be able to relate to people and for them to not be scared of you so much or to be thinking you're kind of, so let's just take on a name. And Paul begins to rock the whole world. I mean, he changes everything. And this is what I think Barnabas set you up for. They're not the people in your life that always remind you of what you did yesterday. You know those folks? Oh, yeah? Well, I remember. And I had somebody in my family that would always—and they would even do this in front of my children. And they would laugh as if it were a joke. And I'm trying hard to live a holy life in front of my kids. You know, I'm trying to let them know this is a godly man, and this is who I want you to grow up to be. And, and And it's not always easy. But they would always bring up the past. Well, let me tell you about your daddy. I remember one time, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't remember that time very well. It was a little foggy to me then, and it's even more so now. Uh, you know, and I think, oh, don't, 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 don't embarrass me like that. But don't you have those people in your life? All they can see is who you used to be, who you used to be. Barnabas says, yeah, yeah, that was Saul. But you know what? I see who he is now, and I see potential in him, for what he's going to be. You know, I wouldn't be standing here sharing this message with you today if I didn't have Barnabases folded into my life all along the way who said, yeah, I know where you came from. I know what your life was like. I know all these issues. But I see something. I see something. I see a little spark of potential. I've told some of you before, uh, Toby Everett is a pastor of Alice Bell Baptist Church just across town. Coincidence that we've known each other for years and years, but never dreamed we'd be in the same town. I actually was uh, went to his youth group a couple of times when I was about 17, 18 years old. And uh, his wife, they were standing in the kitchen one day, he was a football coach, and 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 his wife said, you know that the the boy who comes, who started coming around, flirting with all the girls, I see him... And I see potential in him. Now, I'd, I'll be honest with you, I, and I don't think you should judge people by appearances, but just looking at me at that time, <laughs> I didn't look like I had a lot of potential. I didn't act like I had a lot of potential. I was in trouble with him, and and he, he tells this story later. He said, you know, she said, I see potential in him. They're washing and drying dishes together. And he said, you know what? I'm sorry, I just don't see it. <laughs> he said, I don't see it. I think I just don't think he's gonna make it. I just don't think so. I'm so glad I didn't hear him say that. Because what does that do to you when you hear somebody say it? when you heard your teacher say that? When you hear somebody refer to you like that, it just isn't that just one of those people that just goes, you know, and they're just just draining the energy and the life out of you. Barnabas was the kind of guy who said, You know what? I'm gonna vouch for Paul. I believe in this guy. I know he's messed up, and I know he's just, but I believe that God has his hand on him, and he's going to do something different. And this thought came to me about this moment. What would have happened to Saul if he had not had Barnabas? I just wonder if in that church they'd have said, you know what? We just can't trust the guy. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. I mean, he's just, we can't risk it. No, Paul can't join this church. In fact, we're going to make sure he can't join anybody's church. What if this young man saw who had given his life to Christ and was sincere and wanted to be different? What if he was just put over to the side and they said, no, 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 thanks. And he had faded from the pages of history. Well, one of the things that would happen is that you wouldn't have had about half of your Bible. He wrote most of the New Testament. He changed the world almost single-handedly. Because back at some church business meeting, a man that most folks don't even know named Barnabas said, I believe in him. I think we ought to give him a chance. That was Barnabas. And at the end of that little story, there's this wonderful summary. The Bible says, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. See, that's what God does. It says it grew in numbers, and people said, I want to be a part of that community. I want to live like If they'll accept a guy like Paul, maybe there's a chance for me. Now, after all that, Barnabas disappears again. He kind of, you know, he goes low, you know, goes dark for a while, and then he pops back up And yet another critical moment in the history of the church. Turn to Acts chapter 11 believe this is the next time that we see Barnabas come up. In Acts 11, verse 20, here's where we catch up to him again. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene uh, began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas. They would begun to trust. You know, Barnabas, kind of he kind of has a sixth sense about these things. He will be our representative. Let's send him to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessings, he was filled with joy. And guess what he did? He encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. I love verse 24. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. And then it says Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul, and he found him, and he brought him back to Antioch. Um, Antioch is the first place that the Bible says that God opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, for us, most of us, many of us in this room, we are Gentiles, and, and it doesn't seem like that big a deal. But there, in that time, it was revolutionary. It was just not heard of. And when it came time, when somebody had the idea, hey, you know what, it's not just for us Jews. It's not just for us. Let's spread this out. Let's share this. Let's go to the Gentiles and tell them about Jesus. Let's, let's get them in on this. Some people weren't so sure about that and actually thought, no, we don't need to do that. Other people thought, yeah, but who are we going to get? Who's going to be our guy? We need a missionary. We need somebody they'll trust and listen to, somebody that's persuasive and powerful. And, and, and they're all talking about it. And then who are we going to go? And Barnabas, excuse me, Barney, yeah, you got something? Yeah, I have an idea. Do you remember Saul who became Paul? I think he would be it. Paul? Wasn't he a Pharisee? (laughs) I mean, how much more Jewish can you get? Do we want to send him to the Gentiles? Yeah, I think we do. I think he's our guy. See, the Gentiles didn't know how to do church. Um, Here in Antioch, this movement takes root. And uh, they didn't know Torah. They didn't know how to do. They didn't know the custom. They didn't know anything and, and, and the, the people in the church are a little reluctant to change. You've probably never encountered that in a church, have you? <laughs> no, I don't know of any church. I mean, most churches I know embrace change, and they're ready to see God do the next thing. But this church is very unusual in that they're like, we don't know if we want those Gentiles in here. They're going to play with our children. They're going to want to do stuff with us, and they're going to, you know, be all Gentilish, and you know how they dress and act, and some of them have tattoos, and I don't know. Let's just don't let them in. Let's just don't let them in. And finally, you know, they said, okay, we come to this place, and I mean, if we, but we know going in, if we let the Gentiles into the church, it's going to change everything. And it did, praise God, because I'm, I'm one of them. But they send Barnabas. They send Barnabas, and the Bible says he's a good man. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of faith. People are being brought brought to the Lord by him. So he finds this brilliant convert named Saul that he's got a lot of confidence in. Saul soon became Paul. He takes on this this Greek name. That's how far he's willing to go. He goes, well, you know what? If it'll help me to communicate to people and it'll help them to know me as Paul instead of Saul, I'd like a different, I'd like a new name. God, that's fine. You want to give me a new name? That's good. And so Paul and Barnabas do ministry together. And there's this interesting thing that happens in the midst of this. Now, I don't want to make too big a deal out of this because you know how preachers, guys like me, read stuff into the text and then they'll preach a whole, you know, point about it. And you go, well, I didn't see that in there and I'm not really sure that was significant to God. But we make it that way and that's what we do. So, um, I'll take that and run with it. Um, it wasn't long before, you know, they're, they're working together. And in the Bible, there is a significance at the order in which people's names are mentioned. Okay, so in, in this setting, that order kind of tells you who's in charge. Whoever's named first, you know, uh, Herman and the Hermits. Okay, Herman's in charge. I, I don't I can't think of a, I, that's not, Dave Matthews and the band. Okay, and the Dave Matthews band. You know, it, 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 okay, I, you get the point. I'm going to just stop with that because it's not working and you're laughing at me. Um, it was always Barnabas and Paul. We see in Acts, it says for a whole year, Barnabas and Paul taught great numbers of people uh, because Barnabas was the leader. Then the Bible says the church sent for Barnabas and Paul for the work that I've called them. That's in Acts 11 and Acts 13. But then something happens in this process, and this is what I want you to, to check out. Paul's giftedness just begins to be apparent. He begins to flourish. His maturity is really kind of, you know, getting feet to it now. He's just blossomed. And in Acts 14, the Bible says, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went to the synagogue. What? Ha- what? See, it's not, no longer Barnabas and Paul anymore. You see what happened there? It's been switched because now... Paul is leading. In fact, later it says Paul and his companions. <laughs> Barnabas doesn't even get his name shouted out anymore. Yeah, Paul and that other guy, you know, they. the Bible just goes on and mentions Paul. Now, how would you have felt if you were Barnabas? I mean, when he first tries to break into the church, you know, mean he comes in, everybody's like, well, you are a Hellenist, and... You have that, that, that Greek accent, and you really don't speak Aramaic, and you, you uh, okay, you can come in. You know, and, and that must have made him feel pretty bad. And, and now he gets in. He establishes this great ministry. He invests his personal resources. He gives. He works. He takes these trips. He becomes wise. He has this great reputation, this insight into the character of people, and they trust him with that. But then after a little while, his ministry is overshadowed by Paul's. And Paul is the guy now. And whereas the posters used to say, you know, coming to a town near, coming this summer, coming 2012, you know how the, 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 you ever go to a movie and you see the, the things and they advertise a movie, this is going to come in six years. You think, why are you advertising this? Okay. That's what would happen. But the big name would always be Barnabas. And Paul, and the warm-up band, Paul of Tarsus, remember him? And now it says, Paul, and there's his picture. And Barnabas, you know, used to be (laughs) Barnabas. It's kind of like one of those people, those bands that you never really knew, and and then you find out they're, they're still out there, and they're still singing this morning's paper said that, that you know, the, the ladies who sang on the Lawrence Welk Show, oh, oh, quick, tell me their names. You, you, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know. I never heard of Lawrence Welk Show. What is that? The something sisters. Yeah, Laura would know that. Yeah, that's a fond memory of your childhood. Uh. Th- anyway... They're kind of broken up, but they're still singing. They're still out there. And I don't know. I'd like to just, well, maybe I wouldn't see them, you know, but they just had this thing. And you see that every now and then. Somebody used to be on a TV show. Uh, I was talking about this with a friend who went to a convention this week here in, like in Gatlinburg. And he he saw these people who, oh, you were the guy on Batman. You were one of the criminals. And now this is your whole life now. And they're just kind of still. I think that's kind of the way Barnabas. Hey, folks, thanks for coming to the Paul conference and, uh, you know, and get your T-shirts and everything. And, oh, by the way, remember Barnabas? How do you remember Barnabas? He's got a little booth set up over here. He's going to be signing autographs. And they go, Who? and all the kids would look and go, I don't even know him. I don't remember Barnabas. You don't remember the Barnabas? Oh, yeah. No, I don't remember him. You know? Barnabas could have had a bad attitude about that. But he didn't. In fact, several places in Scripture, it just says he rejoiced at Paul's success. He encouraged Paul. He was at his little booth going, yay, Paul. And people would come over and say, hey, Bar- I remember you when I was a little boy. My mother used to come here. Uh, you, you preach. And she'd bring me along. And, and, and Barney would say, oh, but you got to hear Paul. you got to stay to hear Paul preach. Oh, my goodness. He's just going to rock your world. He's just so amazing. That was Barnabas. Folks, you need people around you who are going to be cheerleaders for you. And you need to cheer other people. It's not always about you. <laughs> it's not always about you. This should be something huge about the church where you're always pointing to somebody. Else. You're always trying to encourage somebody else. And you're not jealous. You know, you're, you're, you, don't, you know, you didn't get picked. And, well, I wanted to do that. I want to be this. And you're just excited that God's moving and working. there are all kinds of areas in the church where jealousies can grow up and different, well, but, you know, and I've been here or I've been there, I should have done. And here comes Paul in and he gets top billing. Hey, be a Barnabas and rejoice for those folks and surround yourself with the people who are going to do that and and beat you up. And the funny thing is is that after this happened, you know, they're always taking guys along with them and always encouraging guys. There was this one young guy named John, John Mark. And we get a brief glimpse of him in the Bible, and his first reputation is he's one of the guys who, when Jesus gets crucified, he gets afraid, he runs away, he deserts Jesus, he throws his cloak behind. That's probably Mark, okay? Well, they take him on a couple of mission trips, and and he's there with them. Uh, And Luke writes back, Paul and his companions, Barnabas doesn't get mentioned. They sail to Perga, and they left John there. And they're talking about John Mark as they go make their way back to Jerusalem. In other words, what's happening here is that John Mark deserts them. And we don't know why, but in Acts chapter 15, Paul says to Barnabas, let's go on another mission trip, and let's strengthen the churches, and let's do this. And Barnabas said, okay, let me me call John Mark. I want him to go. And Paul said, whoa, 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 whoa. John Mark? The guy who deserted us, Mm mm-mm. I I don't want him to go with us. I don't trust the guy. He'll bail on us. He doesn't have what it takes. He'll get tired. He gets uncomfortable. He he gets scared. No, I think we ought to take him. Well, I don't think we ought to take him. Well, I think we should take him. Now, we always think everything that happens in the Bible is, you know, everything that happens in a church should be, you know, just... And here's one of the first examples this brand-new church where these two leaders have a strong disagreement. And you know how it turns out? Paul says, okay, you know what? I'm I'm gonna go this way. Barnabas says, Fine, you know what? God bless you, Paul. I love you, but I'm gonna go this way. They separate. It's to the they cannot agree about this guy, so they say, you know what, we're just not gonna be able to work together. Sometimes that's a biblical thing. It's an unusual thing. And I can't imagine Barnabas going, Paul, really? Do you remember the night nobody wanted to let you in church? They didn't even want you around because they were so scared of you? Who gave you a second chance? Who wanted to give you a second chance? Who talked everybody into letting you have a shot? And now you won't give John Mark a second chance? Some of them in this room, you need second chances. I needed a second chance. And there were people who did not believe in me. When I started my faith, when I, you know, I had people say awful things that you're not we don't think this is real but 35 so years later i'm still you know i think he saw something but he wouldn't give that to to john mark now here's the thing as it kind of comes back around and there may be somebody in your life that god's speaking to you about that you need to give him a second chance here's the way this this kind of turned out though um mark was he ended up being this amazing guy and paul toward the end of his life in the last letter that he ever wrote that became scripture he wrote this he said only luke is with me he just feels abandoned and deserted he's tired and he says this get mark bring him with me he's helpful in my ministry See, old Barnabas saw something in Mark that turned out to be right all along. And Paul was man enough to say, you know what? I'm wrong about that guy. I was wrong about Mark. Go get him. I need him here. He's a good fellow. He's a good fellow. You know what? We need to be like Barnabas. We need to give people second chances. We need to give. We, we need to encourage people and, and be there for people. Hebrews three thirteen says, "Encourage each other daily. Do this every day." Now, here is how I wrap up this this uh, this idea because I know that eventually, you know, he he Barnabas passed away, and he was such a mainstay. You know, you can just imagine that what a what a beautiful funeral that must have been. And I imagine there came a place and time where they said, "Does anybody want to?" speak anybody got something they want to say uh, at the funeral and uh, the first guy that gets up everybody's eyes watch him they watch him get up on the platform and they say oh that's that's paul i mean he's famous by now everybody knows even caesar knows who paul is and paul says you know um many of you know me i persecuted the church i did horrible things I put followers of Jesus in prison. Some of them I even put to death. Nobody trusted me. Nobody would come near me. They wouldn't touch me with a 10-foot pole. But Barnabas came, and I'll never forget the night that he put his arm around me, and he said, in front of all of you, I'll vouch for him. And he said, I'm standing here today because of Barnabas. And maybe Paul would sit down and then... Oh, John Mark gets up, you know, and and he's an old man by now, and people nudge him, and they go, he wrote one of the Gospels. He's famous. I'm going to get him to autograph my New Testament (laughs) after the service. And he says, you know, the truth about me, I was a quitter. I'll admit it. Things got hard, and I just ran away. I ran away from Jesus. I ran away from the ministry. But Barnabas just wouldn't give up on me. He saw something in me, and I don't know what it was, but he, he took me under his wing, and, and Barnabas said, I'll vouch for him, even to the point it hurt his ministry, and he and Paul had to separate for a little while because they couldn't agree about me. I'm here today because of a man named Barnabas. Maybe he sat down. Then maybe a Greek guy got up from Antioch, and, and he said, Okay, a lot of you don't know my name, but I was a pagan. I was as wild as the hills. I was so lost. I was lost as a ball in tall grass. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with me. Nobody wanted to have lunch with me. Nobody wanted to sit with me in church. Everybody just kind of looked at me and goes, oh, my goodness, can you see who's at church today? He said, I was that guy. I didn't know Torah. I would never be Jewish. I just didn't fit in. But then Barnabas came along, and he said, Jesus died just for guys like me. And I'll never forget that, that Sunday morning when Barnabas put his arm around me. and said, I'll vouch for him. And he said, hey, you want to go to lunch today? And I tell you what, folks, I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for Barnabas. And maybe things were winding down and one other person stood up, and it's this old widow. And nobody nudges anybody because she's not famous. They don't know who she is. And she says, you know, when my husband died, I lost everything I had. I didn't have any income. I had these young children. I didn't know how I was going to make it. But then Barnabas came along. And I don't know if any of you remember this, but he just quietly sold all of his own property. And he didn't even know me, but he, but he gave me enough to live on and to feed my children. And, folks, I'm telling you, I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for Barnabas. That was the impact that Barnabas had on people's lives. Let me ask you this: What will be said at your funeral? Will people remember you as a Barnabas? Will people say, "Oh my goodness, I didn't think they was ever, they were ever going to die. They were always so grouchy and just so you know, they complain and always fussing about the other. They just think, oh." Or were they going to say sweet things? And say, "Oh, she was such a Barnabas. She was always encouraging, always do, always giving." I believe it's never too late for us to make changes and to become the kind of people that God wants us to be and that you want to be. So here's my challenge to you, and we're done. I want you to go back and remember that dashboard I talked about at the very beginning. That there is a physical gauge, and, and there's, a, there's an emotional gauge, and there's a spiritual gauge. Physically, you know, you, you, may take, you may need to take care of yourself. You may need to go on a diet. You may need to start running. You may need to start eating more healthy. You may need to, to go get a checkup and to figure out what that problem is. I mean, there can be things that you might can do to change the way you feel physically. You know, there's an emotional gauge, and, and you need to get some encouragement. You need to talk to your doctor, your pastor, or the people around you, you know, and, and, and there may need to be some things you can do that will make a difference. Or the, the, where you live and how you live your life. Giving is a part of that. You're holding on to everything. Think, I'm not going to give. You know, uh, I can tell you, you're not going to be as happy as you would if you just give. And there's this spiritual gauge. My life changed. It went from empty to full overnight when Jesus came into my life if you're here this morning without Christ, and you're thinking, you know, I only feel like I'm two-thirds alive. I never feel like I'm quite—there just seems to be something missing. The reason you feel that way is that there is something missing. Your tank is never full because you need Jesus. And some of you believers, you know, you've believed in Jesus, and you've trusted him, and he's, he's in your life to some degree, but he's not controlling. You need to just allow him to have complete reign in your life. And you need to encourage each other. This ought to be a place where folks just can't wait to get here on Wednesday night for cafe. Where they just can't wait to get here on Sunday morning to worship. They just can't wait for Sunday night or another night of the week to get to their community group. Because we know that's when my tank's going to get filled up. That's when I'm going to be encouraged. Folks, I'm calling you out. And this is a, a, a talent we can develop this summer. Let's learn to encourage each other. And let that be one of the most outstanding attributes of our fellowship. Let's let guests as well as members who've been here forever to to be able to say, I love Calvary because I always go away feeling so encouraged. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? You've been so sweet to to listen and to consider these things and to think about this. And I'm going to ask that you would pray with me right now at what God wants to do next in your life. How are you going to make this real? How are you going to make this uh, a very practical thing? So where are you? How does the gauge look on your dashboard? Do you need to stop being so negative and whiny, and complaining, and maybe, you know, gossiping and putting people down? Do you need to just say, God, I'm just going to shut down on that today? It's a new day, new behavior. I'm going to become a Barnabas. I'm going to become an encourager. Paul went from a murderer (laughs) to being the evangelist in the church. You can change too. It may be that, you know, you're trying to live your life by yourself and you're just, you, you, you feel defeated. You need to start connecting to some Barnabases. It doesn't mean you can't ignore the negative people in your life. They're going to be there. They're always going to be there. But you need to put up some fences. There need to be some boundaries there. You can love folks without allowing them just to control, control, control your life. You can stop being manipulated today. I'm giving you permission. And begin to choose some friends and some people around you who are going to encourage you and lift you up. It's the only way you're going to get that needle from empty to full. Encourage each other. There's some people who are waiting on you to encourage them. And there's some of you that you hold that power in a unique and amazing way. And fathers, I'm looking at you. There's nobody that can replace the encouragement that a father can give. Mothers, there's some of you. You hold the key to your child's future. And if you just don't criticize them anymore, just don't pick on them. Just start encouraging. I guarantee you something different is going to happen in your child's life. Something's different is going to happen in the people around you when you become an encourager. And some folks are looking to you. And you hold the key. Father, change us today and change the world around us because we're willing to let go. Let go of some of our pettiness and our grudges and to get verbal and start telling people, hey, I really appreciate you. Hey, you're good at that. Hey, I admire you. I respect you. I'm with you. Hey, I want to give to that. I want to give. I want to make a difference. And if I have to sell something to see that happen, I'm willing to do it. That's how much I'm in. Oh, Father, change us today. Make us like Barnabas. And, Father, for those in the room who are lonesome and discouraged, some in despair, I pray in Jesus' name that you would give them some Barnabases in their life. Their self-esteem may be crashed because of things they've heard about themselves, things that have been said to them. They may feel overlooked or marginalized. God, I pray you'd encourage their heart today. Holy Spirit, would you encourage their hearts? This week, your homework is to write a note, send an email, go by and make a visit, give a gift, do something to encourage other people make it specific not vague i'm just going to start being more encouraging no you got to work at it until it becomes a habit you may have to write out a list and make it a to-do thing be an encourager father we thank you for today we thank you that something new is about to happen in us and through us because of the influence of barnabas and his story Thank you so much. In Jesus' name. It's a time if you just need to pray, if you need to go to somebody and encourage them, if you need to be encouraged, whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do right now, work through how you're going to make this real in your life.